If you brought your Bible with you, open once again with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. At a scripture we've looked at for a number of weeks now, getting excited about dedication. Listen to the thunderous roar and the excitement from the people. Listen to that. Wow. You know, I tease you about this, but I'll, let me remind you, it's not so I can hear it. I'm okay. I can deal with it. It's you who need to hear it. You're the one who needs to, to hear yourself. Get excited. Get responsive, right? Man, we worship God and we sing these songs about how good he is and how wonderful he is, but we don't say it to stroke his ego. He's okay. He's okay without it. You're the one who needs to hear it. Come on, say, I'm the one, I'm the one. who needs to hear it. You need to hear yourself talk about how big God is. You need to hear yourself talk about how great and how awesome and how wonderful he is and how he does all things well. You're the one who needs to hear it. I don't need your amen. I'm okay. I believe this stuff. <laughs> and that's a good thing, I think, coming from a preacher. Somebody who actually believes the stuff they're saying. I believe this stuff. You're the one who needs to hear yourself say, I believe that stuff. So we're getting excited about dedication and, and the, the moving of the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's the universal sound of excitement. Second Chronicles 7, verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down. Man, you can't just read that like, fire came down. What happened? Fire came down. This was at the dedication of the temple. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, say it with me, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. The more we talk about this, the fire and the glory of God. What is the fire of God? It's the power of God. What's the glory of God? It's the presence of God. And the more we talk about his power and the more we talk about his presence, the more excited we get for it. The more expectation we have to see the power and to see the glory and to experience the all-consuming fire that is our God. Now, as we've talked about this for the last seven or eight weeks or so, if you look back, there's a common thread that's going through the whole thing. And to be honest with you, it's come as a bit of a surprise to me. I thought it would be one of those things we touch on and move on. But what I see now is that as we've talked about the way we honor God, I recognize that that, our honor and our reverence for him, is the door that opens up to more of his power and more of his glory. And it would be one thing for us to talk about this and look through scriptures and say, yep, God's powerful. And to look at other places and say, yep, his presence is great. But that's not the end of it. Amen. We are supposed to come to the place where we believe that and we expect it and then we see it. Yeah. I am not satisfied, like I've told you before, just to come to church and look at you for a couple hours. And you look at me for a couple hours and say, well, what's for lunch? I'm not satisfied with that. Somebody say, there's more. There's got to be more. If that's all this is, then we ain't doing nothing but checking boxes. And fulfilling some religious obligation. Out of fear that if we don't do it, he might smiteth us. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And the more is when we come into this place, we actually expect to experience the stuff we're talking about. We're not just talking about the fire and the glory. We come expecting the fire and the glory. 
We're not just talking about the power and the presence of God. We come expecting what? The power and the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. And like I said, there's been this common thread through the whole thing. And we saw it in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. We'll put it on the screen for you. The last part of that verse says, The Lord says, uh, Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, the same word that's translated honor throughout the scriptures is also translated glory. And that's why we keep talking about this and coming back to it over and over. That the power and the presence of God, it's almost like it lays dormant behind a closed door. And this is where people think wrongly about it. They think, well, if God wants to show up, he'll show up. If God wants to do something big, he'll do something big. But what they don't realize is that all that power, that fire, that glory, that power and his presence is all laying dormant behind a a closed locked door. And what he's waiting on is somebody's faith and somebody's honor to reach out, open that door so that he can flood through it. And man, we, I think somewhere along the way, we got it into our heads and I understand where it comes from, but you've got to be watchful over just thoughts and opinions and, and things people like to say, things people like to sing about God. And listen, just because it rhymes doesn't make it true. But songs especially can be so persuasive especially if they've got some feeling in them, some emotion in them. And we sing sometimes about, you know, just how much God loves us and that's good. And this this idea that, man, there's nothing that'll stop him and he's just going to do all this good stuff for us. And I get it. And it's true to an extent. But you've got to remember, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and... I'm going to kick this thing down and I'm coming in there after you whether you like it or not. I love you so much that I'm just going to force myself and force my goodness. Love forced on somebody is not love. It's creepy. People don't like it. Behold, I stand at the door and I'm going to bust it down. I'm going to kick down this wall. I'm going to kick through this door. It's not what he said. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens, who did the opening? The man who heard his voice. The woman who heard his voice. He didn't come in the room against your will. He didn't kick down a door because he loved you. He knocked on a door. Because he loved you. And if any man hears this voice and opens it to him, he said, I'll come in. We'll sit down together. We'll have a meal together. That's a covenant meal. There'll be an exchange. Everything I have, all of my grace in exchange for your faith. But that door had to be opened. And what we're seeing throughout scripture is that honor opens the door. The more we honor him, the wider that door is opened. And if we'll honor him a little bit, then the door's opened a little bit. But the more our honor and our reverence for him and for his word and for his things and for his people, the more it comes up, the wider that door is open. And if you are living a life that is in full dedication and honor to God and to to his plan for you, that door is wide open. And he said, whoever honors me, I'll honor them. But to those who despise me, he said, they'll be lightly esteemed. Remember we talked about that scale? And this is, this is really what this is a reference, a reference to, reference to. Scales, this is how they determine value. When you were buying something, you paid by putting literally heavy metal on one side of the scale. And that's how you attributed worth and weight. And that's where we get the expression to give weight to something, to give weight to someone. You are giving value to them or giving value to their beliefs or their opinions. But that's what what honor is. It's to give value. You're here this morning, which means this is worth it to you. 
which means you value this at least enough to come for a couple hours, one day a week. But do you know there are people all over the world who don't find any value whatsoever in what you and I are doing right now? They give no weight to this, none whatsoever. So is God obligated to give weight to their life? Now, does he love them? Yeah. Does he love them as much as he loves you? Yeah, he does. But he is not obligated to come busting through some door in their life. He stood at the same door and knocked the same way he did for you. What's the difference? You opened it and he came in. But for many people, he's still standing out there. That's sad, isn't it? Jesus is still standing on the front porch. Anybody home? Anybody, anybody? He's just standing out there. They left him out there night and day, sun and rain. But you opened it, and he came in. Do you want the Lord in your business? Yeah, you do. I do. You want the Lord involved in your things, involved in your family. Do you want him on display in your house? Yes, you do. If you want the Lord all up in your business, what's going to have to happen first? You are going to have to be about your father's business. His things are going to have to be weighty and valuable and important to you. And when they become valuable to you, your things become valuable to him. You draw near to him, he draws near to you. Thank you, Lord. Now, uh, go back to the book of Isaiah with me. This is where we left off last week. We've been talking about um, the coming glory, excited about God on display in this house, God on display in your house. And we spent the last couple of weeks talking about how faith is involved in this. And again, it's not just something God does apart from us. Our faith is what connects us to it. Our faith is what connects us to his power and to his presence. And that's why he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, a dead man, and said to Lazarus' sister, didn't I tell you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So faith is involved. Faith, expectation, believing to see it. But what we left off talking about last week was how faith gets ready. If you're truly in expectation for something, that will be demonstrated by your preparation. It's not enough just to say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Come on, bring it, Lord, bring it, Lord, bring it, Lord. Come on, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready. It's not enough. Because when he says, get ready, on one hand, it's exciting. That tells you something's coming. But on the other hand, it means what? You ain't ready. You are not ready. You're not prepared. And we talked about Noah. And how the Bible said in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, that God warned Noah of things to come and that by faith, he prepared an ark. He prepared. Faith prepares. What if Noah had said to God, flood, huh? Hmm, good word. Good word. I believe it. I receive it. A. And what if he had said, I tell you what, when I see a cloud in the sky, that first sign of rain, I'll start building that ark. What would have happened to him? He would have been destroyed with the rest of humanity for one simple reason, failing to prepare for the coming outpouring. I don't want to miss what God's doing for some stupid reason like I wasn't ready when he was saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Faith prepares. And we talked about this last week, how one of the things we can do to prepare spiritually, we talked about praying. Jesus talked about um, when he cast out that spirit out of that man's son. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do it? Jesus said, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And again, let me remind you, that's not him saying when you, when you see a demon, you don't say, wait right there, let me go pray and fast for a minute. I'll be right back. No, if you're waiting till you see something like that to pray or fast, you're not going to be ready, unprepared. So that's, that was really the problem with these disciples. They weren't ready for it, weren't prepared. And so we looked in Isaiah chapter 58 about fasting. Who was here last week? We talked about fasting. How's your fast going? 
Yeah, I thought it may be about that good. Let's look again at what the Lord talks about with fasting in Isaiah 58, verse 6. He said, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Look at what's going to happen as the result of this kind of fast. He said, your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Man, I like the sound of that. Healing that happens quickly. Healing that happens speedily. It's already working in the body. And because you're living a fasted lifestyle where the voice of the flesh is turned down, the voice of the spirit is turned up, and there's not a bunch of resistance to the power and the presence of God, then these miracles start popping, like popping and popping, and healing is springing forth speedily. It's not God paying you for fasting. You understand that, don't you? It's getting rid of all the junk and all the stuff and the hindrances that have been in the way of you hearing from him and receiving from him. This is powerful stuff. He said, your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory saying, I got your back. You go ahead. I got your back. What is that? Protection from every unseen attack. Ones you weren't expecting, ones you didn't see coming. Protection from every harmful word from somebody. Protection from every knife in the back. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9 says, you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. That's a quick reply. If... This is a big if. Are you ready? If you take away the yoke from your midst. What is that yoke? The pointing of the finger. The pointing of the finger. And speaking wickedness. Now when we think about fasting, immediately our first thoughts go to fasting a meal, fasting some food. And it's certainly a part of fasting to do without, to, to tell the flesh no for a minute. Uh, sometimes we think about fasting some entertainment. Maybe we're, maybe we're going to turn the television off for a while. Maybe we're not going to feed on so much entertainment for a little bit. And that's certainly part of fasting, and it's a good thing to do. But this fast that you and I have set ourselves on as of last week and moving towards dedication weekend, If you want to fast a meal or two, go for it. You're not going to hurt yourself. If you want to turn the television off, turn the news off for a little bit, that's certainly not going to hurt you. But what we are fasting as a family is this right here. What is this? The pointing of the finger. What is, what's that? Your fault. You're wrong. You missed it. Your mistake, finding blame, casting shame, and along with that was the speaking of wickedness. Remember we talked last week about the mouth guard? We are on this 30-day mouth guard challenge, and I'm challenging every one of you to put that mouth guard in your mouth. And if you've ever worn one of those things, sometimes they fill up your whole mouth and it can be very difficult to talk with that in your mouth. And that is exactly the idea. <laughs> Set a guard over my mouth, oh Lord. Put a watch over my lips. What, what does that mean? Don't let anything come out that's not supposed to be coming out. Put that guard in my mouth. So we're fasting, we are doing without the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. The King James Bible says vain speaking. It's an interesting word. If you look it up, it literally means to pant. (sighs) That heavy, out of breath exertion. But couple that with the way that King James translates it, it's all that exertion in vain. In other words, it produced nothing. 
a bunch of work, a bunch of spent energy that went how far? Nowhere. Nowhere. How much did it produce? Nothing. Totally vain, totally empty, totally powerless, literally wasted breath. Wasted it. Doing what? Pointing the finger. Blaming somebody. Criticizing. Complaining. Judging. is wasted breath. Not producing anything. And that's the junk we're fasting. I said, that's the stuff we're getting rid of. And a lot of times you fast food, but you don't fast it forever. You do without it for a little bit. Some things you fast so that they leave your life forever. That's what we're doing here. So when I say we're fasting, critical speaking, I don't mean 28 more days till we can judge people. Oh, can you hold out? That doesn't mean, oh, when June gets here, you are in for it, sucker. Not right now. I'm fasting. That's not the idea. The idea is that we are crucifying this part of our flesh so that this old man, this dead man, doesn't get to talk like that anymore. Thank you, Father. Go to the book of Psalms with me. Psalm 106. Let's talk a little bit more about this. I know how excited you've got to be to hear more about this. But I believe if you and I will get a hold of this today, there's life-changing stuff in here. There's, there's truth and revelation that will heal us and save us. Glory to God. Psalm 106, virtually this entire psalm is the recounting of the story of the children of Israel what God, for did, what God did for them when they were in Egypt and how he rescued them and how he pulled them out of slavery and delivered them, how he brought them across the Red Sea, all these amazing, wonderful, miraculous things he did for him, and then their horrible response to all of it. And you see that here in verse 24. After God had talked to him about the land that he was bringing them into, listen to what it says, Psalm 106, 24. It says, they despised the pleasant land. They despised it. If you honor him, he'll honor you. But if you despise him, you'll be lightly esteemed. How did they despise the pleasant land? They didn't believe his word. God had told these people from the time they were in Egypt, I'm bringing you out. And that was the whole word. That was the whole message he sent Somebody say sent. It's important for today. He sent Moses with this word right here. Let my people go. And then the word to the nation of Israel was, he's bringing you out. God told him, you tell them, I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them out. And then when he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, God said so. And Pharaoh said, who's God? And he turned around. Not only did he not let them go, he made their work harder. He made their, their slavery uh, more cruel. And after Moses had said, hey, God sent me with the word, people, he bring, he's bringing you out. All the people worshiped and they praised. But when then on Monday, when Pharaoh said, no, you can't go, all these same people who were just worshiping were so mad at Moses. They, they said, why have you made it harder? And Moses said, I, I don't know. Let me go ask. So he went back and asked God, was like, what's the deal? I said, let him go. He didn't let him go. And God said to him, hmm, let me tell you, go with this word. I'm bringing you out. Yeah, yeah. He didn't change the word. Yeah. The word was the same from the beginning. No matter what it looked like, no matter how long it took, the word was the same. I'm bringing you out. And every, talk, every time he talked to them about bringing them out, he talked to them at the same time about what he would bring them into. Yeah. I'm bringing you out of this that I might bring you into that. I'm bringing you out of slavery that I might bring you into freedom. I'm bringing you out of this land and bringing you into this land that flows with milk and honey. And he kept talking to him over and over. It's a good land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a prosperous land. I've, I've picked it out for you. It's yours. I've given it to you. But this, 
Scripture we looked at in Psalm 106 says they despised him not believing that word. So when they got closer to it and Moses sent the spies into the land, we'll read about it here in a minute, but you remember they came back and they said, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice for sure. I mean, it flows with milk and honey, uh, but we can't take that land. There's no way. Why not? There's really tall people there. No, you're not listening. Really tall. And the walls are really tall. And they cried all night long. Why? Because the people were tall. And the walls were tall. And they were afraid. They believed something else. Other than what God had told them about the land. They despised the land. Not believing the word. But look at what else it says in the next verse. Verse 25. They complained. Uh Uh-oh. They complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. They complained in their tents. The King James Bible says they murmured. Say that word with me. Murmured. Say it like that. Murmured. Murmured is one of those words that sounds like what it does. Murmured. Grumbling. That's literally what the word means. I mean, by, by definition, this is what, uh, what it means to, to murmur. To grumble. To complain about something in a bad-tempered, rebellious way, sullenly, with a discontent or critical attitude. Now, this is all the junk we're fasting. But it literally means to make a low, rumbling sound. The word itself sounds like what it is and what it does. And this is what these people were doing in their tent. Listen to a few of these verses and you tell me if you think maybe these people had a problem. Exodus 15, 24 says, the the people complained or murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Exodus 16, 2 says, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus 17, 3, the people thirsted for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Or excuse me, number 1641, on the next day, all the congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. And this isn't even all of them. It goes on, verse after verse after verse. The people complained against Moses. They complained against Moses. They complained about the food. They complained about the water. They complained about the desert. And over and over again, they would say, man, we should go back to Egypt. Seriously? They would sit there and talk about how great it was in Egypt. All the food they had to eat in Egypt. They would talk about all the different things they would eat. We should find us a leader and go back. What's this? Complaining, complaining, complaining. It's just like you want to stand there and go, you were slaves. They were killing you. And you want to go back to that? Complaining, complaining, complaining. Now all this started with the despising that was going on in the heart. Where there's a lack of honor, where there's despising in the heart, what's coming out of the mouth? Murmur, murmur, murmur. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Now, I don't even have to take a survey, and I'm not asking for hands, but who in here has complained before? I said, I'm not asking for hands. You've griped about something. You've grumbled about something. Yeah, we've done it. What's funny to me is everybody's looking for what we call now a safe place. It's okay. This is a safe place. It's a safe place for just say it. Whatever you're thinking, you can say it. Why? It's a safe place. This is it. What's that mean? It means there's not going to be any judgment. It means I'm not going to say anything. I want to be a safe place. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? And this is where these people were. 
complaining, murmuring where? In the tent. It's okay. It's a safe place. It's, this is our house. This is where we live. It's a safe place. Do you need to vent? You need to vent, don't you? Go ahead, vent. Can I just vent? Can I just, please, just let me vent? Yeah, why? It's a safe place. And you would think that the tent would be the place to vent. And that it would be a safe place to vent. But guess what? It wasn't. Anybody ever pocket dialed you before? I got one not long ago from a family member. I won't say who. And I said, hello. And they, they weren't there talking to me, but I could hear them talking. And I heard a little bit of the conversation. And they were in conversation with a store worker who was demanding them to put their mask on. <laughs> and I could hear this family member saying, my governor doesn't want me to wear the mask. My doctor doesn't want me to wear the mask. I don't want to wear the mask. And the other guy was like, I don't want you to have to, but they make it. And I heard, overheard the whole conversation. Pocket dialing. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before on one end or the other, but have you ever accidentally pocket dialed somebody who you were also happened to be talking about <laughs> at that moment? Have you ever been pocket dialed by somebody who happened to be talking about you at that moment? It doesn't happen a lot, but man, when it does. And you, you were talking to somebody and you thought, this is my safe place. I'm going to vent in the tent where nobody can hear me. What these people didn't know was that while they were venting in the tenting, <laughs> they had pocket dialed God. And he heard every word. He did. The Bible tells us he did. I'll prove it to you. In the book of Numbers, go back there, look at this with me. In Numbers 11, thank you, Lord. It says in verse 1, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Now, we're talking about the fire of God, but you do not want this side of the fire Evidently, the tent was not a safe place. The tent was not the place where you could just vent. What am I telling you today? Don't vent in the tent. What I'm trying to say to you is that there is no place where you can go where he doesn't hear. Man, wouldn't that change some of our conversation? If just before we said something, we looked over and Jesus was like, hey, what's up? And we realized, oh, he's in the room. And your wife was like, what were you going to say? And you're like, nothing. Not one thing. Man, just before you were about to let it out, and you're like coming home from work, and you've just had it with your boss and your supervisor. Coming home from church, you've had it with your pastor. And you come in, and you say, that is it. I just got a vent. And you look over, and God's like, hey. And you're like, hey. And your husband says, what were you going to say? Nothing. <laughs> Come on, no, it's a safe place. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not a safe place. <laughs> there is no place safe where he doesn't hear it. But right on the other side of that, you don't need to be a safe place for somebody just to unload all their stuff and all their complaining, and all their judging, and all their criticizing. And the thing we have to watch out for is letting that kind of stroke the ego a little bit, give you the big head that people confide in me. Sweetheart, you're a trash can. And people are just dumping all kinds of trash. And you're going, bring it on, pile it on me, because you're a safe place. He heard it. 
The Lord heard it. It gets worse. Go to the book of Exodus. Go to Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, verse 2, it says, The whole congregation. Isn't it interesting that they call the nation of Israel a congregation? Food for thought. <laughs> then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The whole congregation. You know that's over a million people? The whole congregation Moses looks at Aaron and says, is it, is it about to rain? Are we getting a thunderstorm? No. I heard like a low rumble. No, that's, that's a million people grumbling. That's a million people complaining. But they were in the tent, so it's fine, right? You got to have people that you can just flesh out with, don't you? Right? I mean, you have to have people in your life. Come on. we got to be a safe place for each other just to complain and to murmur and to grumble about the people God put in our lives. You need a safe place for that? Sorry. There's not one. There's not one. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. That sounds good. When we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. He said, look, I'm going to give this to you, but look at verse 7. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. Why? For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But Moses said, what are we that you complain against us? Did you hear that? He hears your complaints against who? The Lord. Now all the people are like, no, we're not complaining against the Lord. We're complaining against you. And Moses said, what are we? You think you have a problem with my leadership, but it's not me you have a problem with, he said. Your problem's with God. The Lord heard it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Moses said in verse 8, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, in the morning, bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. He said, what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses spoke to Aaron, say to the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord. Why? He's heard your complaint. So I guess venting in the tent wasn't as safe as they thought it would be. There's something you and I need to understand and realize when we're complaining, particularly against somebody that God may have put in a place, somebody that God may have sent, when we complain or when we criticize or when we find fault with them, be careful. Number one, whoever it is you're grumbling to is not the only one hearing it. He is. But what makes it worse is he takes it personally. All your grumbling is against God. Jesus talked about this in the book of Luke chapter 10. As he sent, remember we're talking about the people God sends. He sent out the 12 and he told them what to do. He kind of gave them a crash course in ministry and said, look, you're going to go into places. And when you walk into a house, he talked about uh, speak peace to this house. Let your peace be on it. If a son of peace is there, he said, your peace will rest on it. If not, it'll return to you. Uh, he said some of these same things in Mark chapter 6 on the heels of going into his own hometown and people not hearing him, people not receiving him, people complaining and grumbling against him and his message. 
And it was right on the heels of that that he turned to his disciples and said, okay, you go. And you're going to experience some of these same things. You're going to experience people hearing and receiving you. And you'll experience people not receiving you. And he said this to them in Luke chapter 10, verse 10. He said, whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, that's no honor. Jesus has sent these people, personally sent these guys into this city. And when these people didn't receive who he sent, that's a total lack of honor. He said, when they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Other passages and other accounts of this, Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet. Why? Because they didn't hear you. They didn't receive you. There was no honor. And it wasn't just an honor for you. It was an honor for the word that you brought the anointing that you brought. And he said, go out in the streets and shake the dust off. You got to remember that there were no paved roads in these days. These guys didn't go from town to town in a car or an airplane. They walked. And as they would walk in and through that town, they would literally get covered up in the dust of that town. And if they came to a place that wouldn't hear it, that didn't have an honor for it, Notice he didn't say, make them see it. Stand there and argue with them till they learn to see things your way. No, go out in the street, shake the dust. What's that sound like? Take it lightly, right? Where there wasn't an honor, then I couldn't go through an open door and minister to them. If they despise it, they don't receive it, just shake it off, shake it off. I think what he was saying to him was get rid of the dust from that town before you go to the next one. Don't take their rejection with you to the next town. Now, this is not just a word for preachers. And I have had to put this into practice. With over 10 years of traveling and ministry, we've been to places that were excited about the word and received the word. And on the other hand, a couple of times we've been to places that acted like they couldn't wait for us to leave. Couldn't wait to get out of there. And if you're not watchful as a minister, you will take their lack of honor with you to the next town. And you start preaching to people. If you don't shake that off, you start preaching at people. You come into a place expecting them to not receive it. And that's why preaching from some people has a hard edge to it. Because they are preaching to you with it already in their head. You don't believe this. You don't receive this. What am I even doing here? And there's no love in it and it becomes bitter. But this isn't just for preachers, huh? This is for you. This is for all of us. What's Jesus saying? Don't take that relationship with you to the next one. Don't take that experience with, excuse me, with you to the next one. Where they don't receive it, shake the dust off. Why? Because he goes on to say in verse 16, he who hears you, hears me. He who hears you, hears me. And he who rejects you, who are they really rejecting? Him. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. See how it goes all the way up the chain? That it's not just about what people think of you. It's not about what people think of me or the leadership. God takes it personally. He takes it personally. If they don't hear you, who are they really not hearing? Him. If I stand up here on a Sunday and man, I've prayed, I've studied, I've read and I'm ready to go and I stand up here and I just preach my guts out till I am blue in the face and every one of y'all sit there bored out of your mind. Half of you asleep. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear it. Do I go home mad at you? I better not. Hmm? I better not. Why? Because it's not between me and you. If I believe the words of Jesus, then what I believe is it's between you and him. And this is a good thing to put in practice. Again, not just for preachers, with everybody in your life. 
Somebody doesn't hear, somebody doesn't receive, somebody just grumbles all the time. Just remember, who is that between? It's not between you and them, it's between them and him. It's not between you and them, it's between them and him. And if they don't receive you, if you've got a word from God and direction from God, if they're not receiving that, it's not you they're not hearing, it's him. And if they reject him, they're rejecting the one who sent him. This is good, isn't it? This is th these are things for us to put into practice and remember. I've got just a couple of minutes here. Go back to the Old Testament. Let's look at a couple of more of these. Numbers again. Numbers chapter 12. Let me give you a good example of this. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. In Numbers chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. So they're grumbling. They're complaining about him. They spoke against Moses. Why? Because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Now, I don't know who's hearing this. But it stands to reason that Miriam came to Aaron and said, Brother, they're brothers, sisters. Can I talk to you? Yeah, come on in the tent. <sighs> you know I love Moses. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, I mean it. I love him. And, and I ain't trying to judge him. Come on, help me. What's about to happen? She's about to judge him. Anytime you hear somebody say, I love you, but, you know that whatever comes after that but is about to totally undo, I love you. I ain't trying to judge, but here comes judgment. I'm not trying to grumble, okay? I'm not trying to criticize, but I'm about to criticize. It's kind of like when people walk up to you and you're talking to somebody and say, hey, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's exactly what you meant to do. <laughs> Let's be honest. Aaron, can I talk to you a minute? Sure, sis, what's up? Come on in the tent. <sighs> I hesitate to say this. Is this a safe place? Can I just be real? Yeah, you can be real. Come on, we're family. Just, just tell me. This woman he married, what is he thinking? She's Ethiopian. She's Ethiopian-American. This is some racist stuff going on, isn't it? And she's talking to him. Now, she's not one to talk too loud. Aaron's like, what are you saying? <laughs> and they complained against Moses. Now, it's okay to do this, right? Because they're not out there talking to everybody else. This is, this is a safe place. Or is it? And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not? Spoken through us also? This is the two of them talking. You know I love Moses. But man, with him, it's always like the Lord said this and the Lord said this. And God commanded this and God commanded that. It's like he's the only one or something. And Aaron's going, you know what? I didn't want to say anything. But you are exact. You're, you're right. You're right. This has been on my heart too. Man, we dress this trash up, don't we? I've just got a burden. I've just got a heavy leading to gossip and grumble and complain. And Aaron, Miriam, you know what? You're right. He does. He's always acting like he's the only one who ever hears from God. What about us? I mean, come on. We hear from God. Miriam, remember that time after the Red Sea and God gave you that song? Sister, you sang that song so beautifully and played that tambourine. Oh, it was... And, and that's right, Aaron, you're the high priest. God picked you to be the high priest. 
We hear from God too. I shouldn't be saying this. No, no, no. It's a safe place. No judgment. You hear that? No judgment. What are they trying to say? There won't be any result from this. No judgment. I won't say a word. Not, not going to tell anybody. What Aaron forgot to do was check that iPhone in his back pocket. <laughs> Because the Lord heard it. <laughs> now, verse 3 says the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Which cracks me up because Moses wrote this. <laughs> we won't get into that. But verse 4 says, suddenly, somebody say suddenly. The Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out here, you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud. That's the glory. But it's, this is the wrong side of it. The Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both went forward. What's that sound like? Step up here. I want to talk to you three. Meet me out back. Aaron, Miriam, oh yes, Lord. Step up here. Okay. What's this about? Promotion. I told you we hear from you. I told you he's about to show Moses. They're grabbing hands so excited. He said in verse 6, hear now my words. What's that mean? I heard yours. I want you to hear mine. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful. Oh, say faithful. This is so big to God. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful in all my house. So I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Listen to these words. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And they're like, you heard that? <laughs> yeah, I was there. Standing right there. Heard the whole thing. And God said to him, yeah, you're right. I do speak to other people. But not like this. I've honored him. Why would God honor him? Because Moses honored God unlike many people throughout eternity. He said, I speak to him in a way that I don't speak to anybody else. What's he saying? If I honor him, what should you be doing? Honor him. You speaking, you think you're talking against him. It's me. I'm the one you're coming against. And what happened was the glory lifted and they turned and looked at Miriam and she was covered in leprosy. And Moses had to cry out and pray for her. And the Lord healed her. He said, you spent seven days outside the camp. And she did, and she was healed. But I, I'm guessing she wasn't so quick in the days to come, right, to talk about Moses. Somebody comes up and says, Miriam, can I talk to you? Yeah, about what? Moses? Nope, 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 nope. I love Moses. Moses, he's, oh, that's my boy. Oh, thank God for Moses. Oh, thank God for, you get, get, get. Go, somebody else's tent. You ain't coming in this tent. This is a no vent tent. You cannot come in this tent and try venting about Moses to me. No, no vent. Why? Because the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. 
Thank you, Lord. You know, the Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Nevertheless, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel. He's recounting the whole thing. He said, you wouldn't go up. You wouldn't go up, but you rebelled against the Lord. He's talking about going and taking that land. You rebelled against the Lord, against the command of the Lord your God. This is Deuteronomy 1.26. He said, you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. Whoa. Now we know what they were saying. Now we know what that low rumble was all throughout the million people or more. They were in there grumbling, complaining. And what were they saying? The Lord hates us? Are you kidding me? He just rescued you. He just delivered you. With one miracle after another, one sign and another wonder and splitting the sea and he's feeding you miraculously and you have the audacity to vent in the tent saying he hates us? Where's all this complaining come from? Believing lies. Believing lies. He hates us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Is this why God brought these people out? He brought them out because he loved them. He brought them out because they cried out for help. He brought them out so they could worship. He brought them out to have fellowship and relationship with them. And they're believing lies about him. Why? Because they're a little hungry and they're thirsty. So they say, hey, can I talk to you? And they go in tent after tent. He hates us. He hates us. Now, don't tell anybody I said that, but he hates us. And what's happening? The Lord's hearing it from house to house to house to house. Lies, 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 lies about him, about his character, about his will. He hates us. It's no wonder that when they stepped up to go into the promised land, they, instead of running into it in faith, they ran from it in fear. Why? Because if you will believe how much you're loved, it will cast out all fear. If you will believe the truth, oh, listen to me. If you'll believe the truth, if you believe the truth, I don't care what it looks like. He loves me. And somebody wants to come and complain and gripe over what, some leader said or what some leader did or your, the ministry leaders, you need to stop and ask yourself, is it even remotely possible they heard from God? Because if it is even remotely possible, then if you're going to complain against them, you're complaining against him. And if it's even, even a slight chance that what they're doing is of God, then you'll want to keep your mouth shut. They believe lies about him. They believe he didn't love them, he hated them. But if you'll believe he loves you, the Bible says in 1 John 4, we have known and believed the love and it's brought up boldness on the inside. We have this confidence in him because we've known and believed his love. We believe the truth about him. I'll tell you this and we'll be done. Jesus told a parable in the book of Matthew chapter 25 about a master who called together three servants and he gave to each one according to their ability. And he gave to one five talents and to another he gave two and to another he gave one. And then he went on a long journey. He was away, Jesus said, for a long time. What's that length of time represent? Opportunity. Opportunity to do the right thing with what he'd given them. And the one he gave five talents to went, went and traded and made five more. The one he gave two to went and traded and made two more. But do you remember the one he gave the one talent to? He went and buried it in the ground. And then after a long time, the Lord, the master came home, called his servants together, called the first one he gave five to and said, what'd you do with it? He said, you gave me five. I went and traded. I've got five more. And his master said, well done. Man, how would you like to work for that guy? Many people, so many people all over the world stuck in thankless jobs working for people who not only don't acknowledge the good they do, but take credit for the good they do. Never promoting, never bonusing, never increasing, but not this guy. Well done, he said. Well done, good and good and what? Faithful, Faithful servant. 
I've made you rule. You've been faithful in little things. I've, I'll make you ruler over more. Enter into the joy of your Lord. To the guy he gave too. He said, I went and traded. I got two more. Go ahead. Here, you've got two more. And he said, well, that's good, but not as good as the one I gave five. Is that what he said? No, he said verbatim, word for word. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I'm telling you, man, this is the guy you want to work for. Until this guy with one came up and he began to reconcile with him. And this is, these are the words that came out of his mouth to his master. Master, I knew you to be a hard and harsh man. Now, does that sound like the guy we were just talking about? Well done, good and faithful servant. But this guy comes along and says, I, I, I know this about you. I know you're hard and you're harsh. And then he said, and I was afraid. So I went and I hid your money in the ground. And they said, so see, there, you have what's yours. He thought he was doing him a favor. But do you notice what he called him? Hard and harsh. Hard and harsh. And the master looked back at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, everybody got called two things. The first guys got called good and faithful. This guy got called wicked and lazy. Lazy I get because the master gave to him according to his ability. In other words, his master knew you can handle this. I'm not giving you everything that everybody else got, but I know you can handle this. And that's the thing about ability. It can grow. Just because you're handed something small to begin with doesn't mean you stay there. It means if you're faithful with it, increase comes. And his master said, you have this ability. I see it in you. So I get lazy. He didn't do what his master knew he was capable of doing. But why wicked? Why wicked? I believe it goes back to what he said about his character. Hard and harsh. Wicked means twisted. Believing lies. Truths that have been twisted. And this guy lost his job that day because of the wickedness and the laziness. These are serious things. And this master who represents the Lord is a good leader. And though he loves this man, what's he saying? I am not about to allow that grumbling spirit, that murmuring spirit, that misaligning and maligning of my character to stay here. Why? It spreads. It spreads. And the man lost his place. I think today it's simple. Golly, Jeremy, shut up. It's so simple. Believe the truth. Believe the truth. Believe the love. And whether it's between you and God, maybe you're seeing something right now that you don't like and it doesn't feel good or you seem to be going without, don't start pointing the finger at him. Don't start blaming. Believe the truth. And if you believe the truth about him, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. There will not be one complaining word come out of your mouth. But we got to do that with each other. Huh? Contention and strife arises in the home when we start believing lies about each other. She doesn't love me. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't care about my feelings. Number one, that's none of your business. That's not between you and her. That's between her and him. He doesn't love me. He doesn't show me any respect. He doesn't value me. He treats me like dirt. Give it to the Lord. Because that's not between you and him. That's between him and him. <laughs> Amen? And choose to believe the love.
Amen? Amen. This help anybody today? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.